welcome to the awkward stare where Jahan, Natasha, and Arlene take a long, awkward look at life and deep dive into all manners of subjects. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. If you like what you hear, please share with some friends and follow us for more content. And we'd love to hear from you. Please don't hesitate to send us an email at theawkwardstare at gmail.com. Again, that is theawkwardstare at gmail.com. And let's get into it. Hey, everyone. So we're coming at you with another city episode. This time we're going to be talking about resource-based economies and some of the groups that are trying to implement these ideas. Um, we'll let you know if it's uh, let us know if it's a little bit woo-woo or you know sci-fi or is it something that can actually happen? Let's see. We're going to talk about resource-based economies and just to give us some foundation, we'll talk a little bit about what a resource-based economy is, what it entails, and some of the people and uh, organizations that are following this, this model. A resource-based economy is a society based in the use of technology, computers, and automation. We might also know as the Internet of Things um, to handle the, the menial and repetitive tasks um, associated with the labor that we currently do, many people currently do, I should say. So that would free us to live um, with more purpose. So the key is it's, it's freeing us to live with more purpose because you have the option to do things or you have the ability to do things that you might not have had the time to do because, you know, before work. So with all this free time, um, purpose fulfillment and automation through the Internet of Things um, the society we would we would we would have no use for for money. We wouldn't have the use for the dollars and, and cents that we currently um, use to exchange for the things that we need. And mainly, what happens is, you know, there's this, a global reorganization or distribution of resources. So, um, is a better resource management tool. This would result in or work alongside. The fact that communities would be smaller and managed locally, um, and then the resources are held more, are, sorry, are managed more in a global way, and in a global network, I should say. And therefore, we would individually want for nothing. So there is no need for money. And so one of the organiz- or one of the people who um, I feel like, like highlighted some of these things really well is um, Peter Joseph. Uh, he's an activist uh, who founded the Zeitgeist Movement back in 2009. And in, in his TED Talk, he outlined five things that need to happen for us to move toward this, you know, move from the free market uh, economy to the RBE, which is a resource-based economy, um, where people, you know, have this freedom and no longer need to do menial tasks and labor. Um, and the five things he set out were, um, one was growth, from growth to a steady state, because currently in our societies, we everything is about growth, growing the economy, growing this, growing that. Um, and then we just need, what we do is we move from this growth model to a steady state where we are sustainable and we have, everybody has what they need and we're not looking to grow, we're just looking to, to be solid in, in our foundation and in, in the way we uh, operate with our resources. The next thing is competi- from moving from competition to collaboration in our society, a lot of of our society is about competition, you know, competing businesses, competing this, competing interests. And we move toward collaboration where it's like we all work together to get the things that we need, sustain the things that we need. And we make sure that everybody has the resources that they need to to do that. And so the other, the third would be dispense, uh, uh, excuse me, dispersed to planned. So instead of our resources being just kind of given based on who can afford it and access it's planned. So you plan where your resources go. You make sure that you have a good accounting of everything that exists and how that resource, for example, if a raw, raw material um, is like wood, for example, we know we don't have an infinite amount of wood, um, meaning trees, we have to leave some trees and then trees take time to grow. So you have to properly assess for how much of that you can use and how to make sure that everybody has what they need with the, with the limits that we have on the planet. 
Um, and then that's, a, that's a, you know, properly accounted for. The fourth thing is automation over human labor. So you automate things so people don't have to do the tasks that we don't really, not, that should not really be necessary and that are menial. You have automated using what they call the Internet of Things. Um, and then people no longer need to be exploited for their labor. And the fifth is property move property to access. So you don't own a thing. The best example that he gave, which which really said it or explained it for me in this model was a car. So for example, I have a car. I use this car like never. Like I <laughs> I use it like to go to the grocery and for like some things, but for most of the time, most of the week, I would say a good 85, 90, probably even more percent of the time, the car is sitting there. So in a resource-based economy, I don't own it, but it's it's mine, but I don't own it. So it's like somebody can come and say, okay, so do you need your car this day, this day, this? And I'm like, no, give them the key. They take the car, they do what they need to do. And that gives access, access to somebody else for the thing that I have. And it's, it's, it's not about property. It's about giving, make sure everybody has access. My neighbor doesn't have a car. I do. I'm not using it. They can use it. They bring it back, whatever. And I think that was a really good example um, for me about how this works. I don't know if you want to just stop there. We want to have a little bit of a talk or discussion about it because I didn't even get into um, Jack Fresco and the Venus Project, but I think that's an important thing to talk about as well. Yeah, I would point out, uh, so I got um, introduced to the resource-based economy by watching Zeitgeist. And uh, the third movie, or <laughs> um, was it the second? The third, I think it was the third movie, introduces the Venus Project and Jack Fresco and Jack Fresco was the person who had coined the term resource-based economy. So I, I did want to mention that. And I did want to mention because I am pretty partial to this um, project and um, this idea. So I don't want to so I don't want to color anybody's um, opinions about it too much. But he was a um, an architect and self-taught and he developed this idea over the course of his life. And the Venus Project is this a manifestation of what it might look like to have a resource-based economy. They have a plan of a city um, in Venus, Florida, and I would implore anybody to look it up, but it's it's not only about, you know, how the city is planned, the city's planned in like a circular fo- fashion with part of the city for agriculture, part of the city for um, living space, a part of the city for restaurants and bars and schools. And, you know, there, there, there's a section for each part part of what you need and no one will need for anything. So you start off with this one planned city and then what their a goal is is that this city will become successful, then you would build another city close by, then you would build another city and it will be a ripple effect. And he's and uh Jack Fresco said it takes about one generation for us to completely change the earth and how we um how humankind kind of interacts with the earth. So it's more about what I gather from it, it's using automation, using technology to become more imbalanced with the planet rather than just, you know, using all our resources, um, using resources for one thing, creating these false scarcities. And by doing those things, you eliminate crime. The, his, his thing is you eliminate crime, you eliminate, you know, the need for um, penalty by eliminating property, you kind of eliminate um, competition. You eliminate a lot of things that are social ills in our in our current system. Um, hopefully, I summed that up. Did I miss anything, Tasha? No, I think that was that was good. I mean, I think you introduced me to the Venus Project um, years ago. I feel like it was a long time ago, and I was interested in learning more. You know, this time around now, also because I'm been thinking about urban planning and how a city is planned and how, how a city is built currently, it was more out of out of need in the current system as opposed to with this. It's like you're taking the time to say, okay, so how what do we have? What do people need? And how do we make sure that there is no thought about, you know, this person over here doesn't have has to wait on a, a, a food pantry line to get food, you know, whereas this person over here has so much money that they're just spending it on random shit because why not? Um, in this in this model, I find it interesting that the built city is literally planned to the point of you have that, like you mentioned, that central hub where all the resource management is held, healthcare, the education, the communication networks, all of that is in the middle in the hub. And then radiate 
it's and of course it's circular because again like it's interesting to me that a lot of these theories that or economic platforms that exist talk about the circle like it's mm-hmm. an ecosystem and that's really what keeps coming to me don't like economics the same thing it was circular the model was circular and it's it's really about the ecosystem and it's and it's a circle that we have to understand that there's there is a limit in what we do or how we use our resources and within that limit we can still all be good but I, I'm I don't want to pull pull off of this just yet but like it has that central hub in the middle in that circular um city it's a smart city you know and in every essence of the word it's a smart city and then the second the second layer of that outside from that is like the professional buildings the offices the research labs the institutions the um some of the uh, other amenities that we we get to enjoy and then outside of that is like a green belt with parks and things like that um and i want to highlight that part because it's like even if you look at the the image you realize everything is green and it's because they're you're working within the the environment and they're not like working against like there's not a lot of non-green areas non-green space and then outside from that that third ring um you know the central hub you have the professional um buildings and offices and amenities and then you have parks and outside that is a residential belt it's all the homes are prefab um and in my mind i'm imagining 3d printing like it's been 3d printed 3d printing is so i feel like it's so underused and 3d printing is so important to how we can build our future and not have to worry about using resources that may become that are right now scarce because we don't have a chance to, they don't have a chance to redevelop in themselves, but another conversation for another time, but the residential belt has a prefab homes, ponds and like other fun stuff. And then outside of that is like another set of apartment building. If you don't want to live in an actual home, you can like a single family home, you can live in an apartment building. And those things have things like movie theaters and other amenities as well. And then outside of that is an agricultural belt with hydroponics and aquaponics and aeroponic facilities. And basically that's your food supply for the community. Outside of that uh, is the is like a circular waterway around the agricultural belt, which provides the irrigation. And then outside of that is like a further recreational belt with uh, golf courses and walking paths and biking paths and other outdoor activities so this circular city you know starts at a hub and it ends in like this huge recreational belt of greenness and then that could potentially also lead to other cities and these cities are capped their population is capped um, because it can only serve the resource that's there can only serve but so many people and then once you've reached your cap you would then build another city and building these cities, you know, it's just basically a replica of each other and they can be connected. And it's just a huge network. And again, it goes back to that ecosystem. So I found that really, really interesting how how well planned out that is. You know, I'm, I'm amazed by it because, I mean, it sounds familiar, you know, especially from school when you learn about all these um, cities and these types of things being built. But this seems like where we could potentially go going forward. But I think we have a lot of limits. And let's talk about like I guess that that gets us into the criticisms of uh, the Venice Project and uh, resource-based economies. So I think that one criticism is that this is not going to happen, <laughs> no matter what. This is not going to happen. This is this is just out of the scope of anything that can be built. And I often get like kind of like I don't know, kind of upset at that because I think it it kind of shows that people are so stuck to the idea of what we have now um where it's like scarcity um we gotta i gotta get mine kind of kind of thing where it's like okay well we can recreate a society that can work for everybody just not for a few people not a few billionaires but but for everybody so um that's interesting because i think at this point if we keep on going the way we're going, we're going to need a few Earths to take care of everybody, not one Earth. And how many of us can afford to build a or get on a spaceship um, at this point? Another criticism is that these plan cities usually don't work out. So this is a model that um, this circular model is not it is not the only model that's ever existed. Um, Disney actually had uh, this model for the Epcot Center. Um, the original app concert was supposed to be this kind of super planned city and it just never became a, you know, a reality, but this has come up a lot of times, especially when you watch, um, different sci-fi. I, I think, um, this kind of planned city, uh, I forgot the movie. Goodness. There's a sci-fi and it, it, it talks about a dystopian society and you know what? 
I'm forgetting names and titles right now. It is it, it is a circular city. So a lot of things, a lot of sci-fi has these circular cities. And this is not the first planned circular city that ever existed and it comes into existence. But also the, the another criticism is that this is not how human beings usually create, create cities. Cities kind of spring up out of need. If you look at New York City, for example, especially in the lower Manhattan portion of it or something, when you get out of like way that it's been planned out in upper Manhattan, and Tess, you can speak more to this, there are things next to each other. So there might be a, you know, a shop next to, or even in Brooklyn, like you have mixed use apartment buildings and you have like down the street might be a lot of stores, but over those stores are like apartment buildings and stuff like that because things spring up out of like, okay, people moved to that section. They started building and they needed a store and they needed a place to go. And, and that's how, you know, people meet each other. That's how the flow, things kind of flow and, you know, people kind of um, socialize and stuff like that. It's a, it, there's a cultural reason behind it, but there's also this way that people um, come together and, you know, and that's how they make it, you know, make it together. You know what I mean? Like all together. There's a city in, um, is it Brazil? No, I'm sorry if I'm forgetting where it actually is. It's in uh, South America where it's super planned. And they say that it's kind of feels like it's sterilized. It's a sterilized city. Like people feel the sense of boredom because you have to kind of plan with your friends. If you're going to the movies, like I have to plan to be in the part of the city where this, the movie theaters are because it's away from the residential areas. And I think of Queens, All when I think of this stuff, I think about Queens and like certain parts of Queens where there's no corner stores and, and stuff like that. There's no like, there's only homes on one portion and then you have to like kind of go to the place where um, there's uh, there's something to do. There's restaurants and stuff like that. I think of it like that where it's just like, I, I just can't imagine the boredom. It was, even out here, like in Far Rockaway to a certain extent, it's like there's no flow. Um, that not that natural flow of like meeting people. And I don't, I don't really have too much. I'm, I'm learning more about this through you guys. Um, but it just sounds like for that, in order for that to happen, like, I, like you said, like, I don't know. I just feel like in order for something like that to happen, there has to be like something that dismantles the, the government system. And I guess like that part, because it's too many, like things are too many powers at, at play, you know, that they probably wouldn't even allow this to happen. And, and then the mentality of the people completely has to, change that'll take years years for that to happen it's, it's a lot that would have to happen in order for that to even be a bit successful and then again like you said like the boredom thing like if you have to plan everything or there's no like spontaneity there's no you're restricted in what you can do I don't think people would would like that as far as okay well what if I want to be the one that opens a business and and I want to profit and I want to make and I, you know, and then the other person doesn't. And it's like, you're kind of restricting that the mind that wants to be one way versus the other. It's like too many different kinds of people, I think, and too many cultures and too many mentalities that, that kind of have to think up to, for something like that to, to be successful. So I'm kind of like, it, it can work if everyone works together, but getting everyone to work together is probably the hardest thing you could do. I don't know, but that's just me. So while I'm all for it in many ways, as a person who feels like we always think of things as it's either or, I feel like this is possible, but there, there are things that, yes, I feel like are missing. And that's why some of these plans, cities don't happen because they don't take into consideration the and. And that is people's mindset. How do people want to move around? Um, and everybody, I don't think that everybody, I don't think that people will be looking necessarily for profit or understanding or thinking that they need to, I need to have, you can have a business. It's like, what do you want to, what do you want to, what does your business want to do? And, and, it, but that requires us to get to a point where it's like, we, don't think of money as the motivation for what we do. It's more like, I really enjoy being able to tell you how great this product is. And if I'm selling you dresses, 
because we were just looking at these dresses on this beautiful site. But like sometimes I sell you these dresses, it's like this one will look really nice on you. So I'm more of a, not a salesperson, but a more of a person says, I understand your body type and I'm able to tell you, you know, how you should wear this dress or or give you advice on what you're trying to dress you should wear. And that's what I really what I want to do with myself. Like I love giving people advice, you know, like that kind of thing. I think though that's where we would go if we just take money out of it. But I, I might be stuck myself in this thought about what money is and what money can do. And I feel like with some of these models and this one particular, it, it makes money seem like it's the problem. It's like, no, people are the problem and people's mindsets are the problem. And money doesn't have to be the problem if we understood that money is a tool and it's just energy in exchange, it just makes things a little bit easier in some ways, but it comes down to understanding that money does not have to be the motivation for what you do, nor does it have to be at the level of what it is now, which is it, it, it creates greed and it doesn't have to, it just, but again, it goes back to what Arlene said about changing people's mindset. So it's like, if the point is we're going to get build cities that where we don't have to worry about scarcity i think that's totally possible if we want to build communities and neighborhoods and and um, live in a world where we're not worried about where our next meal is coming from and we don't have to fight somebody else for it because there's no competition and there's more collaboration i think that's definitely possible do we need um, a physically planned city in this way no, because in some ways, New York City itself, even though it like it's spring, it sprung up because it had to out of need and things are here and there and everywhere. It also is restrictive, even in its freeness. It's restrictive because legally, like technically, like zoning laws and land use laws in New York are really, really strict. You can't do a lot of things here in New York and people don't realize that. Like so because of those restrictions in land use and the way things are built, you won't get much much variation from what we already have here in New York. If those things are are you know relaxed, so for example, a big thing that we're talking about now in like urban planning is during the pandemic, office buildings and office spaces were empty. And it's like, and at the same time, people didn't have housing. Why is it that we couldn't just create housing and let those, instead of worrying about people getting back into the office, say, okay, well, these office buildings are are empty. Now let's use it to create housing for people that people can afford, you know, and it could cut down costs a lot. And you, yet, yes, you might've been charging $12,000 a month for this building. Guess what? If you create $12,000 units of housing, I mean, sorry, 12,000 units of housing or whatever, I mean, I'm making shit up, but like, imagine you can charge somebody a thousand dollars for an apartment that's unheard of in New York, but people can afford a thousand dollars potentially, you know? So it's like, how do we trade these things off? And, and generally in urban planning, they talk about now malls are dying. So, a lot of places, or a few places, not a lot of places, but a few places are changing malls into housing. And so they're making them into mixed-use buildings. So that's the thing that's like, we need to start thinking differently. We don't necessarily need to plan a whole city like to the T. But what we could do is rethink how we already ha have, what we already have, and rearrange how we use those spaces. So yeah, definitely, it, 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 it could be possible that you use a mall to you have a movie theater on the bottom and you have this and that and third, and you have housing that's really inexpensive because it just could be. I just like disagree. Um, I think that there's a certain amount of, um, I, I think that we don't need money. Um, I think that we've moved past the, the fact that we need to do certain things. Um, I think that a lot of the things that we rely on are cultural needs and what this model is, is more about like people are naturally service. It makes it a big assumption that people are naturally service minded. And which is like, yes, because people in, in a way that we all need each other, we kind of need each other to uh, survive. Um, one thing I would say about this super planned city is that it, it doesn't take into account what people need necessarily in terms of socialization and i think that why we why it's so super planned is because what's happening is that people have gone past the threshold of what what's ne necessary for us to survive so like i'll use our plastic like use a plastic and we keep on using things um we keep on you know we overproduce things we over consume um whereas one person has stuff and another person doesn't so I think that's why I disagree with it. It's like there, there, there's a need to to plan things to know how much people need, who actually need, 
um, in order to survive. Like, how much housing do we need? How much housing do we actually need? So that and we're not, like, doing too much. And I think that the fact of the matter, if you kind of eliminate money, you, people will still create things. People will still be creating, like, dresses and clothing and stuff like that and styles because but because it, it would free us to do so such things of creating art or thinking of new things and um creating new uh technology and stuff like that but i i also think that there's a need to plan something and not like that though <laughs> not where it's like you know there's there's no flow of people it's just like it's super sanitized and it's like okay well we're gonna put this here and this over here and and this should be fine. And that doesn't necessarily feel like it's fine. I think that there's a certain way people interact with each other that kind of make it that they don't put the thought in like how people are actually going to interact. I think that's what bothers me. I think I don't think I'm saying anything, anything that different. What I'm saying oh, is okay. that my thought is that money like they're using money as a thing that's evil. I don't think it has to be necessarily evil. Whether we use it or not, I don't care. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that to get from to get to the to the planned city from where we are, like we have to mm-hmm. use the sort of resources that we have now. Like a bridge. In a better way. Like we need yes, I'm talking about yes, the bridge to that place. And I don't think we need to super plan it like you're saying. I don't think we need to go ahead and say, break all this shit down, fuck it, and like build this super planned city where people don't get to interact and socialize. But I think we, we have this ability to to right now begin to say how we want to live differently, which is less of these zoning and land use laws where it limits us in what we can do and how we can ex- exist and and say, okay, well, how, and how do we make things easier? And then, of course, we have to bring in technology. So creating a smart city, we, we can create those now. We can begin doing that now with the cities that we currently have. We don't have to wait to build something planned, hyper-planned. We can start doing some of that now with what we have currently. And then the next step could be that we begin to really, really allocate the resources, meaning the real, the raw resources, using automation a little bit more, and not, and and get people to stop worrying about how, how like how am I going to live? You're taking jobs away from me. Like those kinds of mindset things. There's like that bridge needs to happen. Be this this planned city. It can. I don't believe it can happen in one generation. Like um, um, Jacques uh, Fresco is saying. I don't think it's one generation. Change people's mind is going to take longer than that. But we so we have to br- build a bridge to get there. You know, we're talking about using the land and the limitations that you have within that. And that implies that someone owns that land and is imposing those limitations. So how do you then go to that person who owns the land, who intended it for one thing, and then say, okay, now we're going to use it for this, and you have to agree to that? Or the person who owns that a part of that business or that mall to be like, okay, yeah, use it and create, you know, these things and it'll be beneficial for everybody because we're not, unfortunately, we're the, we're the people on the, kind of on the middle or bottom of the totem pole. There's still people who own these things who have a completely different mentality than we do. And their mentality is how can I get as much from this as possible? And that's where the bridge comes in, right? So these things are actually being built. So like, this is not impossible. But the fact is that if they're thinking about making money right now in this society right now, they're thinking about making money. And if it wouldn't be easier if we said we were able to say, how about if you build X amount of units of housing and change some of your floors to, I don't know, a grocery or a mom and pop groceries specifically, we'll give you incentives in this current society, in this model, that's not impossible. And and these things are possible, but what restricts them is zoning and land use laws. We may even free people's minds to think differently about how they also are thinking. It's not like uh, no longer a struggle. It's no longer like I have to choose and I'm gonna own this building or I'm gonna sell it for $4 million, but you can keep it, not not charge people at, you know crazy amounts of money for a rent. And you can actually say, okay, you know, maybe I can, I can do some good here. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But again, that's talking about a shift in the way people think. I don't know if we can control that, but I think it's a bridge to where we want to get to. If we can get people to see the benefit in being more community minded and talking about community development as opposed and community development and community planning, as opposed to saying, we're just going to be building things because it's to be built and I have the ability to build it. And I it makes us money. <laughs> right. And that makes us money. I think it's just. How do we actually build community? There's, a, there's an organization that I follow on LinkedIn, um, a company 
and what they do in DC is all about community building. And they're a, they're a real estate group and all they think about is community building. So they're building schools, they're building things that people actually need and want, and they're building beautiful communities in Washington, DC. And it's like, people do think this way. And we have to realize that we have the opportunity to, at this point, move towards a resource-based economy if we really wanted to. But it's like that shift in, in, in thinking about how we do that or how we get there or just changing how we think about things requires some of us, at least, to think about things differently. And therefore, other people may be able to say, oh, I never thought of it like that. I mean, we could try it. But how do we, how do we get there and, and, and change the way we think about our land, which is a resource. You have to remember that. Land is a resource. It's a major, major resource, period. Like, how do we think differently about how we use our land and how do we make it more community-owned and less individual person-owned? So I think that one thing that came up is a question from this conversation um, between what Arlene said and what you said, Natasha, is so our government's are incentivized by money. <laughs> and, and I'm saying government as in the people in our government because it's just people who run the government, right? Um, so after our break, <laughs> uh, I would have... But power. Yeah, and power. I want to I like get back to that, uh, this question of, but our government though. Um, so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with that thought. <laughs> So uh, we're back. We stopped on the thought about governments being incentivized for, to keeping things the way they are. I just want to like touch on that point because it's kind of hard to change things without the government. <laughs> Almost like I'll say letting us. And um, if people are getting money to keep things the way they are, they're like lobbyists are um, paying for campaigns and stuff like that. And they're able to stay in power, they keep their seats. How are things going to change? How are, how are we going to change zoning laws or um, make cities smarter or, you know, change over to um, more smart technology rather than relying on, or I'm sorry, um, <laughs> um, like solar power and wind power and stuff like that instead of relying on oil production and stop creating so much plastics when, you know, that's not where um, politicians are getting their, getting the money. I don't know how to answer this because I, I dislike strongly talking about politics because I feel like it's hard to apply my thoughts to something that seems already very, um, in this country specifically, because I will not speak outside this country, I can't speak for it. But I will say here, I feel like we have more options than we realize, but we're trained to think in this way that we have limited options in mm -hmm. who we choose to, to run our government locally. Um, and then at the, even at the highest levels, we have more control than we think. And and again, may, not again, but maybe I'm naive, but I really feel like we just, we, we think that we don't have options and we absolutely do. Like, do you know how many parties there are in this country alone? And we only think that there's two. This is, is just, it's, I mean, it's also up to me to remind myself of that because we go constantly back to this talk about grassroots and those grassroots organizations, those mm -hmm. grassroots people and those grassroots politicians Especially like out here, we in Far Rock, we, we do have some and you can and absolutely should, like you've said, John, many times on here, go to them and be like, oh, this is what I want. City, city council member, this is what I want. This is what people want. This is what the younger people want. And, but we're talking about also generational differences. Our parents didn't grow up the way we did. They don't have the same outlook on life. They don't think the same, you know, being a part of an organization, talking about, you know, how they feel about home ownership is not the same way I think about home ownership. It's not the way, same way my, my niece thinks about home, home ownership. Like all these things are, are not the same and it's not static. So we do have to look at our local politicians and if they're doing well for us, we need to get them to, to raise up in what, I don't know, I don't want to say the ranks because I, I don't like hierarchies either, but go to the next level and say, 
are right now. I'm, 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 I'm at city council member level. We support them enough if they're doing the things that we want and need them to do, which they should be because we've elected them, to go to the next level and say, all right, well, now it's on the state level. Now I'm affecting change here and do and do that enough times where we have enough of these people filtering in these positions where they're not thinking about money. They're not been, they've not been there for 50, 60 years in politics, you know, millionaires, billionaires, because they're just politicians. These are people who came from like where we're at, like not, not, not growing up with money and knowing what it's like not to have food on the table. I think it's in Minnesota, Missouri. I can't remember one of the M states. They have a council member or I think she's Congresswoman now. I think where she, Corey something where she, you know, she talks about hard times. She's not coming from money like other politicians are. And I think that makes a difference in how policies are created. And I feel like that grassroots attitude, that attitude of understanding where the proletariat, the people like us who actually work and do the things that sustain this society, I feel like we need more proletariats in these positions. And then we won't be worried about government or not government. We're worried about more, okay, these are people who are here representing me. And therefore, the policies will represent the things that we actually want. That's that's my belief. And again, I may be really uh, naive, but I feel like we need to move these people who have money out of these positions because they don't represent the majority of us. I agree. But then I feel like our government, even in the way that they make it into their positions, even if they come from a place where they know what struggle is or whatever, like, like it is my understanding that most of the time these politicians have to be agreeable to what the bigger agenda of the overall government is. And a lot of times that the ones that are not agreeable or go against that are not the ones that win or get elected. So, you know, there's that part that I think about as well. It's like, it's nice if, you know, I'll give a, you know, a crazy ass example. Say Dr. Sadie wanted to, to run for, for local government. His ideas and what he has put out there, you know, goes against what, say, traditional medicine and, whatever goes against him, he's more a naturalist. He, he's like, was when he was alive about nature, about, you know, whatever. And then a person like that who goes against what the bigger agenda is, because you have to remember that a lot of times these government people are, whether on the far left or on the far right, oftentimes do have a one agenda even though it looks like, you know, they might be opposing or whatever, whatever. So like the people that kind of make it into these powers kind of have to align with that same thing. And they put the money behind these people at the end of the day, they're still money, money and power motivated. And I just think as long as that continues to be the, the thing, even if there's no money, there's still power. There's still people who are greedy for power, who, who, who are greedy to be on top above everybody, whatever, in control. So I don't know. It would be nice, but, you know, I don't know if it's realistic. It, again, I think that goes back to our mindsets. Forget the politicians, right? Our mindsets as a, as a people, as a majority. If we begin to understand that we have the power to say, we don't want y'all anymore, and we start to move people into these positions, as Jahan says, that grassroots thing is like, you have to start from... I hate to say the bottom because, again, it goes back into hierarchy, but that's where we're at right now, right? Like, we are the majority. We're at the bottom of the pyramid, and we're holding everything up. We could just let that shit go. Yeah, and I think that's – that's uh, I, I agree. It's just, like, oftentimes we are so taught so many limiting beliefs that there's nothing that can be done about what's going on. So oftentimes – as I, I see it every day and um a lot of a lot of times in our own generation where we a lot of us did not vote in a lot of elections because we felt like we one vote doesn't matter. It's just whatever. But when you really think about it, your local election it does really it's important to vote because if you don't vote, then whatever uh city councilman gets in, 
they're not necessarily going to change or move the, the needle at any, at any point. And I can see it in my own neighborhood. Um, not going to get into it. Um, and so we just take whoever's coming and then they don't really help where you live. So if we, you know, if we kind of organize together, like, because we are the power structure, we are like the people are the power structure. We do hold a lot of power and we say, look, this is what I want to see. Even if it's just one little small thing, like I want Wi-Fi to be free um, in this city. I feel like that one change of I need Wi-Fi to be free in this city. I pay my taxes and we coalesced around that opinion. We can see how much we can get done. And so as much as people hold on to power, people hold on to power because we vote them in. And if we now come to say, well, we're supporting politicians that we put into power. Like we find, I don't know, somebody, um, and we make sure that they get into power, even in our city elections or state elections, then now we're holding power for ourselves. Um, as a community though, as a collective, not like one person, just like understanding that we came out, we came out of this earth and we can, you know, change something about it. I was going to touch upon the law of attraction in a way because it's like, you know, it's like a, it's a forgotten thing that it does take kind of you realizing the power exists in yourself and yourself in your community. And I was reading this book for class called um, Society Against the State. And they talk about how the chief literally doesn't have power. It's the people who who give the, the chief power and he can he's a good speaker. He's the person who gives to the people at the same time. They make sure that that is always in check. That power is always in check and how he does things. You have certain things because you're the chief. You can marry multiple wives and stuff like that. But at the same token, we can listen to you. We don't have to listen to you. We, we can, we can take all your stuff if we want to. And that's what we're going to do. So it's just like, I think that the, you have to have that same mentality where we think that, of this is a society that we've come to know as a hierarchy but that doesn't necessarily have to be how it is we can say we literally give these people the power and we can take it away and we have to understand that mentality like we are what holds us society sorry for that rant no it wasn't it i think it was relevant is i feel like we're just so used to thinking of things as they have it and we don't it's like no we actually have it we we are the majority, right? And 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 if we're talking about this being a democracy, a democracy says that there is no hierarchy. There, the democracy says that the the people have to say, but the people would have to the people would have to actually join together and realize that they have that power and say, okay, so what is it that we want as a collective? And that's where we're falling apart. And and it's that divide and conquer mentality that sticks with us. We've been divided even amongst ourselves. So it's like we have to begin to say, how do we create a better us? So that goes back to, again, the, the shift in how we think individually to say, we tell them what we want because they're really at our service. It's not the other way around and it shouldn't be the other way around. So they're at our service to say because they're the they're the ones who supposedly supposedly have the skill to write the laws that we that we dictate. So if we've agreed that everybody wears white shoes and everybody says we're all going to wear white shoes and that's what we say that the law is, that's what it's going to be. And I think that sounds utopian, but it's really not. It's really just could be what it is if we just change the way we think about how we put people into these positions of writing the laws. That's really all they do is write the laws and the laws are really supposed to be what we want because we've put them in place to vote and we voted for them. If we're voting for them, they're supposed to do what we say because we're in charge. That's supposed to do and what they do. But that's, again, up to us to dictate that. And, and who does that? Like, it's up to us to say who, got, who gets that position and who doesn't. And I feel like we have more power than we, we have more say than we actually take hold of. But again, that's my belief and that's why I don't talk politics because People, you know, um, may think or have the idea that it's the other way around. And I, I just don't believe that. And there's no convincing way to speak of it. It's just going to sound like shishi fufu. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, I, and I know that. I, I, I hear, <laughs> I hear both sides of it. Um, 
I hear both sides. There are good people on both sides. Um, <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Ah, no. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> so what I, what I do want to get back to, and this is an interesting um, standpoint because I think that it, it, it talks a lot about like, okay, how building bridges from where we are and where we want to get to, which is a more sustainable, uh, more equitable um, society. And it's just like food for thought. Um, and I do want to ask, what do you what do you all take uh, from the Venus Project and resource based economies? Like, what what do you uh, or what do you want to see implemented or et cetera? I think in and of itself, it's 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 a it's a something to aspire to. But I am in the place where a lot of my thinking is more around building the bridge to that thing because we can say whatever we want, but it's the journey that really matters. Because in the end, it may not look the way this city is built out, you know, in this um, Venus project, but the bridge that we build to get to something, you know, to that ideal, that, that ideal end state is really where the where the work happens. And that's what matters. So I think some of that lies in how we understand the land and resources. And, and that's something that I am uh, have dedicated myself. I don't want to call it dedicated. That's a little extreme. But I've become more interested in understanding more about and being more proficient in in the world of of understanding our land and our resources and understanding what those resources can do and how we can apply it to community planning and community development. I'm in the bridge state. I, I, I'm looking at how I can build that bridge to something better. I believe that as human beings, we can do a lot better. It's a nice idea. I would have to, I don't know, I just, I guess my mind is trying to be like, how could you possibly, like, how could that be a real reality? It's just, I would have to break my, I would have to see, like, change in, like, government structures. I would have to see change in, in the mentality of people and, and more open-mindedness. And, you know, a lot of people are 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 extremists of one thing or the next thing and breaking people out of that mentality and all of that stuff because it starts at home too. People have their own home structures and whatever their parents are teaching them and whatever those parents taught them. And that's something that often is ingrained very deeply in people is certain mentalities are very, is, is generational. It's so it's like, yeah. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a person that that's ever like this can never happen because there's a lot of shit that happens that you, you would think it wouldn't happen. I'm. I'm. I'm a person that believes in. There's possibilities. There's a million different possibilities of of one thing. So, but I just in this current reality, it's just difficult for me to move past the uh, the powers that be and them. And those people allowing that to even come to fruition, when I understand that even where we are today is something that has been a plan that that's been in place for hundreds of years before, you know, I was born, my mother was born, my grandmother was born. So, you know, it's just a a, a whole different mentality that I have. I would say that... I'm I'm walking away with uh, new fresh eyes. Um, I've been following the Venus Project for like years. <laughs> One thing I would say is that being that I've been following them for years and I see that <laughs> they haven't made much progress <laughs> in what I see, from what I see, I think that it's going to take some time for in this um, way to even be implemented. I think that are more partial to the bridge project where we're using something like the donut economy or something like that, creating smarter cities, building vertical gardens, things like that, that are more sustainable. And and I think that people are creating a mindset towards sustainability and things like that. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do realize that I'm hoping that people start to realize that how much power they do have in this 
time-space experience that we're experiencing right now. I hope it made sense there. (laughs) But the existence we have, we do have so much power. And if we just use it um, together, if we just form communities together, if we just, you know, share our ideas and share how we believe things can be possible, then we can create possibilities. Just like we have blockchain, we have um, things like uh, the internet, we have um, 3D printing, we have all of these things that we can actually live so much better lives. Right now, uh, there's, there's bullet trains that exist today where we don't have to use so much oil to get from point A to point B. So I think that once people realize that these sci-fi things that we think that are so far-fetched exist today, and no matter what, automation is taking away jobs from people, technically, because really, eh, I mean, it doesn't belong to you anyway. Um, When it belongs to a corporation, you're just selling your time. So there's going to be a place where we reach that you have to account for people needing to be retrained on things um, that are more sustainable, um, that are not menial, because if a, a robot can do it, why should a human do it when they can do it safer and better than a human can? So I think that there, there has to be an idea around what's the next steps for human society, regardless of how people are going to be retrained on things, how we are going to be living in our donut <laughs> to, to, to say it because we're overshooting what we actually can do on this planet. So I think that no matter what, we have to rethink how we're living because we're not going to survive anyway. So that's where I'm going to leave it. Any closing thoughts, anyone? I, I just want to say those things are donut economy, circular economies, all of these things. Yes. I believe that they are the bridge because they also require us to understand all the things that we do have and how much we could be doing a better job about making sure that everybody has the same thing so we can be in that sweet spot of the donut. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or what we're talking about when we come to the donut, we have an episode on donut economics. Even if you don't listen to it, there's a whole bunch of resources in there where you can read about it yourself. Uh, I'm still slowly reading the book written by the woman, that woman um, who, who created that, that theory And I feel like in the end, it all requires us to love each other in a way that we currently do not. Love and care is what's missing. And if we think about it in a love and care manner, we can move toward that bridge is just built off of love and care. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I agree. Love and care being the leading factor, but I think about it on both ends. But I always need the love, so I'm I'm, I'm open to to improvements always. And with that, we're going to end this delicious conversation (laughs) on the Venus Project as well as resource well Venus Project and resource-based economies thank you all for listening to the Awkward Stare podcast please share with some friends and follow us for more content like this you can also follow us on our Instagram page at the Awkward Stare podcast and um, we love hearing from you all. So you can either slide into our DMs at the po- <laughs> the Awkward Stare podcast, um, or you can email us at theawkwardstare at gmail.com. That's theawkwardstare at gmail.com. All right. Thank you. Bye. Love, peace, and soul. <laughs>